right, how we doing tonight? I'm excited to see everybody. I get a chance to preach again. Uh, before I get too far, Eastside Online, welcome. You're a big part of our church. Thank you for watching whenever and wherever you're watching this. So I had some preaching inspiration come to me yesterday, and I want to share this. Billy Sunday, fireball preacher from the 1920s and 30s, famous. He'd just yell at his congregation the whole sermon, okay? He's preaching a sermon on the sin of dancing. And one of the opening lines is his, in his sermon is this, and I'm going to do my best to imitate it, okay? I don't give a rip what you think about this before I begin or after I'm through. Boom. That's how you open a sermon. I was motivated and scared. I'm just trying to find my preaching voice, my preaching attitude, and I think I found it. Well, tonight I have the honor of kicking off our new teaching series titled, In God We Trust. And if you didn't know this, In God We Trust is actually the motto of the national motto of the United States and has been since 1956 when it replaced our old motto, which was E Pluribus Unum which is one from many in Latin. Both of those phrases are printed on most of our money, our printed money in our coins. So when you see or hear the phrase, in God we trust, there's a good chance that your first thought is money. I think it's ironic that that's what is printed on our money because for many of us, if not most of us, our trust is in this right here and what it can do for us instead of God. If we're honest, I can hear what you're, you're thinking in your heads right now. Oh, he's going to preach about money tonight. I don't give a rip. No, I do. I care. I do care. And yes, we are going to talk about money, but that is not the focus. That is not going to be the main point of what I'm talking about tonight. Money and what we think about money is a heart issue. Look at, look at money as a symptom. So what we think about money and what we do with our money shows the condition of our heart. So if you struggle with money and satisfaction coexisting in your life, pay attention the next four weeks to the wisdom of God as we study just one passage of Scripture, two verses. If you'll open your mind and your heart, this series may change your life, especially in regard to how you look at and manage your money. Well, I've already mentioned the word heart three times, which leads me to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I think you have a heart problem. And I know a thing or two about heart problems. Tonight, you and I have an appointment with a cardiologist. Now, hopefully, most of you in here don't have one of those. You may not even know what a cardiologist does. So if you don't, that's a doctor who specializes in the study and treatment of heart abnormalities in disease, and I know them well because I had open heart surgery November 8th of last year, just a little over a year ago. And I was born with an abnormal aortic valve that started leaking, and I was born with it. I, it went undiagnosed the first 40 years of my life, but for the last 14 years, I have to go to the cardiologist every year, and they're looking to see if that valve is leaking more or if my heart is enlarging. And for 14 years, there had been no change in my heart, none. 
I've been working at Eastside for two days as your stewardship pastor, and I go get an echocardiogram. So ministry is not for sissies. I don't even get back from the cardiologist appointment. And I got a phone call telling me the news that I never wanted to hear. It's time. You're going to have to have open heart surgery. So they replaced my aortic valve with a cow valve. Yes, a cow valve. Go ahead, moo, get your joke in. My surgery was a success and I'm, I'm fine now. Okay, well, what's that got to do with me scheduling an appointment for you to see a cardiologist? Because I told you, I think you may have a heart problem too. And like mine, you were born with it. And if we get it diagnosed, it can be fixed. So as we prepare for your appointment, I want you to keep two things in the front of your mind, your calendar and your checkbook. And I know that sounds weird, but here's what the doctor is looking for. Who or what is at the center of your heart? Is it God? If it is, you're gonna get a clean bill of health. You won't have to go back and see the doc for another year. But it may not be God at the center of your heart. It may be you. It may be money. Anything but God at the center of your heart is a problem. And it has to be dealt with. There's no medication for this. There's no pill. It requires surgery. So let's get back to your calendar and your checkbook. The doctor doesn't want to hear what you have to say about who's number one in your life. Where are you spending your time and your money? Those are the things that show what you prioritize, your time and your money. You could call your time and your money your treasure. And Jesus in the book of Matthew tells us where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So while we wait for the doctor, I'm gonna prepare you for your appointment. Many of you have probably heard that the Bible speaks more about money than any other subject. And the Bible does talk a lot about money. So just listen to these statistics. The words faith, in prayer are mentioned 500 times in the Bible combined, okay? You ready for money? Money is talked about 2,350 verses that deal with either money, wealth, or how we manage our money. So why does the Bible place so much emphasis on money? Is it because God just wants all of our money and he wants us to live in poverty? No, it's not even close. I'm gonna share two reasons with you why I think that the Bible talks so much about money. And the first one, money dominates our thinking. God knows that we think about money all the time. It encompasses every aspect of our lives. We have to have it to live. The second reason is God wants us to live the most fulfilling and satisfying lives that we can. Even here on earth, not just when we join him in heaven. So you put these two pieces together, these two truths, and it makes sense that God wants to teach us how to be the most fulfilled in our lives in regard to managing money. Well, wait a minute. I thought that, the, that money was the root of all evil. Anybody in here heard that? That is not what the Bible says. If you're going to quote that, let's get it right. So we're going to look at the verse. 1 Timothy 
6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The people talked about in these verses are people that have money at the center of their heart. And as these, this verse points out, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The warning is here because, as I just said, money dominates our thinking. Now, when money dominates our thinking and the way we live our lives, then a word that we hear in the Ten Commandments comes up, and it is this word, idolatry. First two commandments deal with idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship man-made images of false gods. And in the Old Testament, it was a piece of wood or stone or metal that was carved or shaped into an object, and then the Israelites would worship that object instead of God. And many times the Israelites put their trust in these idols instead of God. And the most famous example is the golden calf that the Israelites made when Moses was at the top of Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Moses had been gone a long time. People have given up on him. They've given up on God. So they go to Aaron, Moses' brother. And they're like, dude, he's not coming back. Make an idol for us so that we can put our faith and trust in that. Now, I want you to think how ironic this is. Moses has stone tablets. He's carrying down Mount Sinai. And the first two things on those tablets are saying, don't do what those knuckleheads are doing right now because they just made and are worshiping idols. And Moses gets so mad, he Hulk smashes these tablets on the ground. He's got to go right back up Mount Sinai and get new tablets. And you may be thinking, well, I've, I've never carved a wood idol or made a, a, a golden calf or anything like that to worship. Are you sure? In simple terms, here is what idolatry is. Anything, anything that you love, treasure, prioritize, identify with, or look to for need fulfillment before or above God or outside of God. It's allowing something, someone to be number one in your life other than God. And the thing that is most likely to become that idol for most of us is money. Again, that's why we need the heart doctor to examine our heart. What is he going to see at the center of my heart, of your heart? So let's look at the scripture that we're going to be studying tonight and for the next four weeks. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is where we're going to camp out for the next four weeks to study God's plan for managing money. And tonight we're going to get laser focused. We're not even going to look at a full verse. We're going to look at the first three words of verse 9. Honor the Lord. So let's look at that word honor. We're in the Old Testament. So the word here is in Hebrew not in Greek. And I am not a Hebrew scholar. I know about this much Hebrew, and you're going to know about as much as I do after I'm done tonight. But we need this for the foundation of what I'm teaching tonight, and really what Dave's going to teach the rest of the series. 
when we think of honoring someone, our definition would probably be something like this, to demonstrate high respect, reverence, or great esteem for someone. In other words, this is somebody that we think very highly of, as highly as you could think of someone. And this definition is accurate, and that sentiment is there in Proverbs 3.9, but the Hebrew word here is much more specific. The Hebrew word for honor is, and I know that's got a B, but it's pronounced with a V. It's kavad or kaved, and you got to have a little on there because it's Hebrew, so kavad, and it means to be heavy, weighted, for something to weigh heavily upon you, to burden you. What? What does that have to do with honor and honoring somebody? Honor the Lord, the way it's worded in Hebrew, means to give weight, to give heaviness, to give priority to what God the Lord is saying through Solomon, the writer of Proverbs. And the subject of Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 is our money, our wealth. Weigh these words heavily as you manage your money. So I want to give you a couple of illustrations that I think will help make this point a little clearer. Think about being in a high school class or in your college class it's the beginning of the semester, and the teacher starts to tell you how the grades are going to be done. We're going to have three tests during the semester, and then there's going to be a final exam. But the final exam is weighted as 50% of your grade. Okay, that final is weighted. That's where the importance is. You can't ignore the other three tests, but you've got to have your focus on that final exam. That's where your emphasis needs to be. This one I think is even better. This is for all the old people in the room like me. So if you're over 50, you may get this reference. First of all, if you're over 50, you old. I'm right there with you. And hopefully you'll know these commercials that I'm talking about. 30 to 40 years ago, there were these uh, financial institution commercials that ran all the time. And almost all of them were the same. They're very similar. You got two people that are talking to each other. And there's lots of commotion going on around him. There's lots of people talking. Nobody is paying attention to these two people, okay? But there's lots of motion, lots of sound. And then one of the two says to the other, well, who manages your money? And then the next person says, well, my manager is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, everything on the commercial just goes silent. All the motion in the commercial, gone. Everybody is just like this, and they're leaning in because they want to hear what E.F. Hutton has to say. And right at that time, that's when the commercial announcer says, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. That's what this verse is talking about. Listen. Listen to what God has to say. Give your undivided attention. So as we consider how to manage our own financial situation, Scripture calls us to give God a lot of weight in the manner in which we choose to honor the Lord with our money and with our wealth. And you honor Him by doing it His way, not your way, as He teaches us in Scripture. Now, before we start looking at money strategies that we find in the Bible, I want to point out why. Why should we give so much weight, so much honor to what God has, has said in the Bible about money? I'll give you two reasons. God knows best. And God wants what is best for us. And there are so many scriptures in the Bible that I could go to to point out these two points, but I'm going to share three with you. 
And each of these has become a life verse for me over the last 25 years. And here's what I mean by a life verse. You read a piece of scripture, you believe it, but you haven't really experienced it yet. You haven't lived it. Then things start happening in your life. God allows things to happen or God orchestrates things to happen. And then you experience him in a much deeper or in a new way. And when that happens, he fulfills that scripture that you believed and it becomes real and true in your life. And that is what's happened to me with all three of the scriptures that I'm about to share with you. These are near and dear to my heart. First one's probably my, if I had one life first, this is it. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If you trust someone with all your heart, you're putting all the weight, the heaviness on what they say and what they think. This is not easy to do. This has not been easy for me because I feel like I have to do it. It's all up to me. If I don't do it, then it's not gonna happen. And when I live that way, you know what I make that verse sound like? Trust in Neil with all my heart. Anybody else struggle here? And at the end of that verse, you're reminded that God does want what's best for you. He is gonna make your path straight. Well, let's look at the second verse. This is Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Once again, put all of your weight on God in doing things his way. Focus on your relationship with him. And if you do that, if you make God your focus rather than seeking things for yourself, he will give you all the things that you need and he'll give you all the money that you need. But the temptation, once again, is, uh-uh, I gotta go get mine. If I don't do it, I'm not gonna have it. I've gotta, it's all up to me. And God says, no, my child, I got you. I love you and I'm gonna give you everything that you need, but you have gotta let me provide it for you. You've gotta do it my way and put me first and then I'll take care of everything that you'll ever need. When you trust God and you seek him first, you put weight on who he is and what he says, and then he does what he said he would do in scripture, and it's life-changing. He knows best, trust him. And if that's where your heart is tonight, you're gonna get a good, clean bill of health from the heart doctor. And just so you know that God's not holding back his best until we get to heaven, let's look at one more verse. This is John 10, 10, and this is Jesus speaking. The thief, the thief is Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or to have an abundant life. That's what he wants for us right now here on earth. It's ours if we'll follow him and do things the way he wants us to do them. But do you believe that? Do you believe that's true with your money? I'll say it like this. When I got baptized, I did not hold my wallet up out of the water. It went under with me. How about you? So what about this cardiologist appointment? Well, you may not have realized it, but you've been in that appointment ever since I told you I thought you may have a heart problem. 
I've prayed for you guys, for everybody that comes in the sanctuary the last three weeks, just praying that God, through, through when I'm speaking, would reveal your heart to you. If you haven't figured this out by now, the cardiologist in my story is God. He knows your heart. He knows who is at the center of your heart. He doesn't need to examine you. You need him to show you your heart and reveal to you what he sees. I want you to picture the Lord talking to you right now. So picture the Lord asking you these questions. Am I first in your life? Do you honor me daily with the way you live your life? Are you living life my way or your way? Do you believe what I've said in the Bible? Do you give the most weight to what I said in the Bible? Do you really trust me? Do you really believe that I want best for you even when life gets really hard? Do you believe I can provide for you better than you can? So what did you see in your heart? And if you don't like what you saw, I told you, there's no pill or medication for this. If you have a problem, it requires surgery. Do you have some things that need to be cut out, removed or replaced so that God can be first in your life and at the center of your heart? Because until you do that, until you make him first, the money strategies that I'm about to show you really don't matter. As I've already said, money is a heart issue. Money reveals our hearts, our money follows that which we are worshiping. Will you worship wealth or will you worship with your wealth? So keeping in mind that God knows best and wants what is best for us, what does his way look like in terms of managing money? And we're gonna look at five strategies. I could show you a lot more, but we're just gonna look at the basic fundamentals and we're gonna start with number one, which is to work, maybe, yes. It is clear from scripture that the Bible teaches that we should work and earn a living. Not expect an inheritance or for things to just be given to us, but keep this in mind. The verses that refer to work were written to people who have the ability to work. Not all of us have the ability to work. But those of us who can, we should. It's expected. Let's look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Second strategy, plan and budget. To manage money God's way, we have to plan and we have to budget. And I've got a longer verse here, Luke 14, verses 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, well, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Some things to think about in this area. Do you have a budget? If you do, do you follow it? In the months where you have more money going out than you had coming in, did you know about it beforehand or were you surprised? As we budget, you have to be able to tell the difference between a need and a want. 
And I get back to the same question, is God at the center of your heart? Is he first in your life? If so, would I be able to tell that by looking at your checking, your checkbook? In your budget, do you give to God first? Do you give to God last or only when you know that you have plenty? Third strategy, save and invest. Listen to this sobering statistic. This is brutal. A modern wealth survey in 2019 of Americans between the ages of 21 and 75, and these are homeowners, showed that 59% of Americans are currently at risk of homelessness. 59%. God's way is for us to take care of what he's given us, to manage these things well. That means not spending every dollar that we make. And it sure means not spending more money than what we make. We can't assume tomorrow, but we have to plan for it. And when we save, we honor God. Let's look at this verse, uh, Proverbs 21. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. We have to save money for a rainy day, for the times when money is gonna be tight and you may need it unexpectedly. Fourth strategy, give generously. God has given to us generously. He allowed his son Jesus to die on the cross for us to pay for our sins. Because he gave, we should give. And he continues to give and give and give. Whatever you give, it won't come close to matching what God has given you. You can't outgive God. If God truly is first in your heart, your giving should start with him. And I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but what the Bible teaches and what you're gonna see in Dave Ramsey's financial piece and in several of the other Christian money management systems, learn to live on 80% of what you make. Learn to live on 80%. The first 10%, the tithe, goes to God. The next 10% goes to you. You're paying yourself your savings. And then you live off the other 80% and you trust that God can do more with your 80% than you can do with your 100%. And he can. So give to the Lord with joy and thanksgiving. Let's look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Last strategy we're going to look at. Avoid debt. In the Bible, debt is not prohibited but it should be avoided, and it has consequences. Look at this verse, Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Many of you know I worked at a bank for 31 years. In the first 12 years of my career, I was a branch manager and a loan officer. So I saw the consequences of debt and poor man money management daily. And a lot of it was people trying to keep up with the Joneses. You do not win by having more money than other people. 
You don't win by making it, trying to make people think that you have more money or nicer cars or bigger houses or shinier toys or prettier Facebook pictures. You win by realizing what is most important. Only God in your relationship with him is gonna fill that hole in your heart that you're trying to fill with money and stuff and trying to prove to everyone how you're killing it, but inside you're miserable and you're empty. If this is you, give that up today. That is not God's way. There's a much better way, his way. Money and the love of money will not make us happy. And as we've already learned, it is a root of all kinds of evil. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon that I'm the stewardship pastor here at Eastside, and you may have no idea what that means I oversee the management of our finances and our resources here at Eastside under the guidance of our elders and our staff management team. So I oversee the budget of Eastside, which is about $2.1 million this year. And I make every effort to manage these resources God's way, the way that he wants it done. That responsibility is heavy on me to honor the Lord with my personal finances, but even more so to manage well the finances of his church here at Eastside. Well, it's, it's time to start putting the landing gear down. But before we land, I wanna share a, a couple of testimonies with you on how Jennifer, my wife, and I have learned to manage money God's way, the good and the bad. Since you had to have your heart examined tonight, I think it's only fair that I share what God has shown me about my own heart throughout the years. These are things that God has done in our lives. These stories are very personal. I've never shared these stories with anybody other than me and Jennifer, and some of these may make you a little bit uncomfortable with how much detail I'm gonna give, but I don't like talking abstract. What he's done in my life, he can and will do in yours, if you'll make him first. But just please remember this, these stories are about God in his faithfulness. It is not about me and Jennifer. We are just bit players. We are supporting cast in these stories. God is the hero. So the first story happened just before Christmas in 1997, and it's the story of how Jennifer and I began tithing. At the time, we're going to a church, and every week the plate comes around, and I put a $20 bill in it. And that probably represented one and a half, two percent of what we made at that time. Around that time, our pastor is preaching a sermon on giving, like what I'm doing tonight, but just like I did, it really wasn't about money, it was a heart issue, and Jennifer and I felt so convicted. I felt so convicted, I went to the pastor right after he was done preaching, and I knew him well, and I said, I just, I'm struggling with tithing, and I'll never forget this. this my pastor actually said this to me. Don't expect me to say this to you. He tells me, Neil, if you commit in faith to give your tithe weekly to God, he is going to take care of all your needs. And if a year from now that has not happened, I will write you a check and pay you back your tithe. But our budget had no room to make this weekly commitment. Well, that week, Jennifer and I are up at Green Tree Mall. We got no money. I'm trying to figure out what to get her for Christmas. I take her into a jewelry store 
and we find this pretty little cross necklace. It cost $86 and some change. I know you're thinking, why in the world do you remember $86 from 1997? I'll get there. There's a reason. Well, she liked it. We could afford it. So I'm thinking, all right, I got Jennifer taken care of for Christmas. So we go to bed that night. Right before we're going to sleep, Jennifer says to me, I know what I want for Christmas. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, we're going to get the necklace. No, I want us to tithe. That hit me in the gut. Now, if you guys know me, I'm a math guy. I'm a numbers guy. I did not know how much it would cost for us to tithe. You know why I didn't know? I didn't want to know because we couldn't afford it. Whatever the number is, it was going to be more than we could afford to give. So I got up out of bed and I get the pencil out because I was never a calculator guy. And I'm, th- I'm calculating what our tithe is. And our tithe is $86 and some change. What was the cost of that necklace? $86 and some change. So the plate comes around next Sunday morning, and we put in our check for $86 and some change. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to write next week's check or the week after or the week after or the week after. And that all stemmed from the faith of my wife and her willingness to put God in front of herself. Now, I hesitate to share this next part because we are not promised material blessing. We're promised spiritual blessing, and I am not preaching the prosperity gospel up here, okay? We got that? Wednesday of that week, just three days after I put that check in that plate, I go out to the mailbox. I get a bill. Well, I get an envelope that is obviously a medical bill, and I'm thinking, great. I open the envelope. You have overpaid your recent medical bill. Enclosed is a refund. The amount of that check was $86 and some change. But it was bigger than the check that I put in the plate, and I went to Green Tree Mall, I bought that necklace, and we never stopped tithing since. It's truth. The second story has to do with Jennifer and I have lost pretty big chunks of income three different times in our lives, and it's not been due to job loss. The first one happened in 1999, six months after we started tithing, and we are struggling. I mean, financially, we are struggling. And Jennifer feels a call to go work at our daycare at church. So at that time, she's working as a paralegal. She's making $32,000 a year. She goes to the daycare, and she's now making $8,000 a year. And I just told you, we weren't making it. But we did it. We obeyed the call. We trusted God. Well, it is hard to lose $24,000 in income immediately, especially when you have no money saved. You're trying to raise two young girls. This was before Noah came into the picture. The one thing that I committed to is we are not going to stop tithing, period. And we didn't. But to make that situation work, we were having to live off of credit cards for the better part of three years. Not very good planning, not very good budgeting. There was no rainy day fund back then. I had to learn some of these strategies the hard way. You probably have too. The second time Jennifer's job was impacted, you all, most of you already know this story. That's when Noah was born. So Noah had been perfectly healthy throughout the pregnancy and then he wasn't. 
And so the last day of full-time employment for Jennifer was right before Noah was born. He was born on January 6, 2003. Noah obviously required a lot of care. It's 24-7, 365 job. It's gone. I'm working at the bank. I'm doing okay, but I'm not making enough money to provide for three kids, one with special needs and all kinds of medical bills. One commitment, we're not going to quit tithing. And we didn't. You got to listen to what God did here. In banks, the typical raise at a bank is one to 3% each year. That's if you get a raise. Again, God does not promise material blessing, but in less than 18 months, I was promoted to senior vice president at the bank. They started a brand new department and they asked me to run the department. I was still doing that when I came to Eastside. And my salary in that time that would have normally gone up about $1,600 went up $35,000. What did I just tell you we lost? That wasn't the bank. It sure wasn't Neil. That was God. Which leads to the big one. The last time I preached, I shared with you guys that this journey for me to get into to ministry was a 25-year journey of God calling me into ministry. And one of the reasons that I think it took so long for God to shape me and prepare me for ministry, if I'm honest, was my fear of what, if, what I'm gonna have to give up of my salary to make that move. I've known for years that if I ever did this, I was gonna have to take a huge pay cut. And you guys know we're a one income family. We've got a special needs child. We've got a lot of medical bills. As a man and as a dad, how can I do this thing that I love and I'm passionate about, but not provide for my family? If I do this, we're gonna end up living in a van down by the river. Guess who had the faith and was my number one cheerleader telling me, do it, do it. Poeo. I was listening last week. Y'all remember that word? Yep, my wife. And you know what she said to me? If we end up having to live in a van down by the river, we'll do it. Well, this time I'd saved some stock options from the bank. I've been doing that for many years. And early last year, I cashed in those stock options and I paid off our house. And I did not know at the time that God was opening a door into ministry for me, for me at Eastside. But because we had saved, because we were debt-free, we could at least consider now making the move. Well, obviously I made the move. The decrease in, <laughs> in income was sizable. It was about a 55% pay cut. If I showed you the spreadsheet with our budget, it made no sense. It didn't add up. There's no way that this is gonna work. But I've already shared with you two other times that that happened, and those numbers didn't add up either. But God provided. 14 months and an open heart surgery later, our finances are as good as they were the day that I left the bank, even though we got a lot less money coming in. We haven't really had to sacrifice anything. God has taken our two fish and five barley loaves and done so much more with it like he always does. So when I tell you that God can do so much more with your 80% than you can do with your 100%, I know it. I've lived it. 
I've experienced God's goodness and faithfulness. I shared with Aquila earlier this week what I was preaching about. He knew I was preaching about money, but I told him it's not really about money. It's, it's about heart, your heart. And I told him, I'm gonna take all of you to a cardiologist appointment and get your heart examined. And he suggested a song. It's an old school song like I am that I think sums up really well what I've been trying to teach about for the last 30 minutes or so. So as we sing this song, I'm gonna invite you to come up if, if you feel led to pray or if you've, if you've struggled with money before and you just need to confess that, God, you haven't been first in my life. I have allowed money to be my idol. I haven't trusted you, I've trusted in myself instead. As we sing, I invite you to come forward and pray and just praise God. He's a forgiving, loving God, so come to Him now.